Well, good morning, everybody. And if you're new here, my name is James. I have the privilege of uh, bringing you the message this morning. So uh, let's begin with some uh, Bible verses. I'm going to read from Mark chapter 8, a few verses towards the end of chapter 8, and then some of Mark chapter 9. So beginning at Mark 8, verses 31 to 33. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now jumping up to Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 8. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to them, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Now I hope that you noticed the underlined and highlighted words. In Mark 8, Jesus tells them plainly that he is going to Jerusalem to be killed. And they don't listen to him. So he takes three of his uh, top disciples, he takes them away and they have this encounter and God says, listen to him. Of course they don't. Now it's pretty encouraging actually to think that these guys who spent three years living with Jesus could still get it wrong because it means that when we get it wrong we're in good company and let's face it we get it wrong very often however we do have an advantage over the disciples we have the New Testament and that tells us everything that we need to know we just need to listen to what God is saying to us through those words and because it's important to know what God is saying to us my topic for today is getting it right. Getting it right meaning understanding what the gospel is all about and what we have to do about it. Now I don't think this morning that I'll be telling you anything you don't already know. In fact, as, um, as Mark already said, our first two songs really encompass the gospel pretty clearly. So what I'm going to tell you, we've probably all heard before, but it's good to be, have a refresher so that we are encouraged at the start of the year to know what it is, what our worldview is and what we're up to. So, here's why you need to really get it right and know what God is telling to us. This next slide is statistics from the census that were, happened a couple of years ago in 2021. Now, you probably can't read all the words, but the right-hand column is the average. This is summarised. The other columns are age groups and the right-hand column is the average over the whole uh, age group. And the right-hand column says that less than 50% of people in Australia believe in God. We are a minority. 
less than 50% believing, 50% believing God. The other columns are in age groups and the youngest age group is to the left and the oldest age group is to the right. So you can see the older you are, the more likely you are to believe in God. Going down, getting less and less and less until you get to the teenage group and the child group. And I don't think it's a long bow to say that when the teenage group and the child group grow up and leave home, many of them will fall away. So that graph is going to keep going to the left and it's going to get lower and lower and lower. And we are a continuing minority and as the older group shuffles off this mortal coil, there'll be even fewer people in Australia who believe in God. Now the only way that's going to change is if those of us who do believe in God tell those who don't believe in God what it's all about. But in order to do that, we need to, be, to know what it's all about and we need to be accurate in our understanding. So there are three parts to my sermon this morning. Uh, I'm going to talk about who is God. I'm going to talk about what has God ever done for us and what we are supposed to do. And I've got to squash this all into 20 minutes, but I'll probably, no, 40 minutes, sorry. But we'll see how quickly I can get through it. Well, somewhere between 20 and 40 minutes, yes. So let's start off with who is God. Now, there's a guy called Ray Comfort, who's a street preacher in California. He actually comes from New Zealand. And you can look at his podcasts uh, on the web. He's pretty good. And one of the things that he does is when he encounters someone who doesn't believe in God, he says, tell me about this God you don't believe in. <laughs> and, and they will talk about someone who is vengeful and spiteful and genocidal and really horrible. And then Ray says to them, well, that's good because I don't believe in that God either. So when you encounter someone who doesn't believe in God, ask them what sort of God they don't believe in. Tell them about the God they don't believe in. And you say, I don't believe in that God either. And then you can tell them about God as he really is. Because as the stats show, 50% of, more than 50% of people in Australia don't believe in God. But they don't believe in the real God. They only believe in a character God that they have picked up from you know, popular media and movies and so on. So who is God? There's three parts to the who is God uh, section. He has, uh, he's made everything good, including us. He loves what he has made, including us. And he is an incorruptible judge. These are, there's more to God than that, obviously. But these are the three key components. Creator, lover and judge. Now you think about God as creator. How powerful and clever he must be to be able to think up the universe and everything in it. How, how, you know, like just being able to, con to conceive everything is amazing, but then to be able to speak it into existence. So this we have a, a creator who is both incredibly uh, knowledgeable, incredibly clever and incredibly powerful. You know, we human beings, we can't even begin to scratch the surface of creating anything like this. We can't even create life except by using the mechanisms that God has already provided us. So... You know, when we say that God made everything and we say to the people, you know, well, he's the creator, he made everything, they will come back and say things like, yeah, but what about viruses and diseases and, and all those sorts of things? And the answer to that is that we live in a fallen world. And the world has fallen because of the actions of our ancestors, but it keeps getting broken even worse by the actions of their descendants. We only have to look at what's going on in the world today to see how the behaviour of Various governments around the world, including the Australian governments of both species, it just makes things worse. It's not God who made the word, who's broken the world, it's us. 
Now, the, the person who doesn't believe in God might not, might not like this, but it's not evidence for the non-existence of God. The brokenness of the world doesn't mean God doesn't exist. It might mean we don't like the way the world is run, but it is no proof that God doesn't exist. So God is creator, he made everything. And like anybody who makes something and makes something amazing and puts a lot of effort into it, you know, you really like what you've made. You make a fantastic creation of some kind, an artwork or a cake or a piece of furniture, and you look at that and say, I made that and I really like that, that's really good. Well, imagine if you could make something as complex as the universe, how amazing that must be and how God must really, really like what he's made. And of course, the Bible tells us that not only is it good, but when he made humans, he, made the, he said that was very good. And so he, he, he made everything. Now, the next part of we might call a God creator, the next part is God the lover. Creation is an amazing thing. And the complexity of it and the, the, just shows how, much, how amazing the God is that we serve. And it would make sense that if you have made something as amazing as the universe and put human beings into it, you would want to tell them something. You'd want to communicate with them. You know, we've got a cat. We talk to him all the time. I don't think he understands more than half a dozen words. But I still talk to him. And God is like that. You know, half the time we don't understand what he says. Like the disciples, Jesus plainly told them, this is what's going to happen. And they didn't listen, they didn't believe, didn't understand. But, he, but God wants to communicate and he communicates to us through his word. Like God has used and continues to use things like visions and dreams and angelic visitations and still small voices in our spirits. All those things God does use, but he also and principally uses the Bible. And if we look in the Bible to find out what God does, it says that above all things, that God is love. It says that John 3.16 tells us that God loves us. But more than that, it tells us why. Uh, next slide, please. Okay, so it tells us that God loves us and tells us why God loves us. He, oh, tell me, not so much why, but how. How much God loves us. He loves us so much that he gave us his son. And the question is, why did he give us his son? Well, that leads into the last category about God being the judge, an incorruptible judge. When you hear of judges giving lenient sentences uh, or letting criminals off with a warning or even, a, even you know, acquitting obviously guilty people through some technicality, uh, we naturally get annoyed about this. Unless, of course, we're the ones being let off. You know, that's okay, isn't it? If we're the ones that are on the benefiting from the weakness of the judge. The problem is, that's called a double standard. When you have one standard you apply to somebody else and a different standard you apply to yourself. God does not have double standards. And he can't be bribed and he's not weak. And when he's got to judge people on the things that they have done, he, f he will pronounce an accurate judgment. And the problem for us is that the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the penalty for sin is death. And so every single human being on the planet has sinned. When Ray Comfort is doing his street preaching, he asks people things like, have you ever told a lie? 
and everybody has told a lie. So he said, right, well, you're a sinner then, aren't you? And it doesn't, because we might say, I haven't killed anybody or I haven't, you know, done anything really, really bad. But it doesn't make any difference. Because a sin is a sin, whether it's a big sin or a little sin, it's all the same. And the penalty for all is that, is death. So what God did, as the incorruptible judge, he says, I can't change the verdict, but I can pay the price for you. And so Jesus comes to this planet as a human being and he dies on the cross. This is what God has done for us. Next slide, thanks. So there's a made-up story about um, a guy who operates a bridge. Uh, it, the uh, bridge lifts, raises up so ships can go under it, lowers down so trains can go over it. One day he brings his son to, um, to work with him. The son wanders off, gets, and next thing the, the bridge operator hears a train whistle. He knows the train is coming. He's got to lower the bridge, and then he discovers that his son is in the mechanism. There isn't enough time to save his son or save the train. What does he do? So he has to lower the bridge so the train is saved, and everybody goes across there but completely ignorant about the sacrifice that the father has made. It's a, it's a story that tells us that it was a really big sacrifice, but there's a really significant problem with that story. And I don't know, have you heard that story before, or is it just me? Yeah, some of you heard it before, good. It's a terrible story because it makes out the death of the son was an accident. And that's not the case. The death of Jesus on the cross was not something that just happened accidentally. This was something that was planned right from the very beginning. The moment Eve's lips touched the forbidden fruit, the shadow of the cross appeared on the horizon. God said to Eve, your offspring will crush, or said to the serpent, her offspring will crush your head and you will bite his heel. The prediction of Jesus dying on the cross, but then rising again, wounded, but overcoming the serpent. Jesus' death on the cross was not an accident. It wasn't like he turned up to preach about the kingdom of God and he failed because the Romans put him on a cross. This was the whole process. He was coming to save us from our sins by paying the price for us, the sinless one who died so that our sins could be forgiven. In Acts chapter 2, verse 23... Paul, uh, Peter, sorry, preaching his sermon to the people in Jerusalem says that Jesus was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. The point is that I really want to emphasize Jesus' death on the cross was the whole purpose of him coming. And the plan begins thousands of years before today. God put together a plan that meant that we can have salvation. The disciples couldn't get their heads around this. They couldn't understand, even when Jesus explained it to them plainly what he meant. But this was God's plan right from the beginning. Jesus was not, just God didn't kill Jesus in some you know, manifestly evil manner. Jesus was a volunteer. He volunteered for a deadly mission, but he was a volunteer. He willingly came 
and sacrificed his life for us. It was no accident and it wasn't something that they just cobbled together. This was a plan right from the very beginning and Jesus volunteered. And why? Because of John 3.16. Jesus did this, God did this because God so loves the world that he gave his only son, Jesus. Why? Because whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. That's the promise to us. That's the good news. Eternal life to those who believe in Jesus. We are all guilty. He didn't just come to save those people out there. He came to save us. Because we needed it just as much as anybody else. And the death of Jesus makes things right between us and God. Next slide. So it's, our debt has been paid in full. When they look at the, um, at the result of the trial, yes, guilty, and the penalty has been paid. You're right to go. And God did this not because he was required to, not because there was something forcing him to do it. He did this because he wanted to, because of the great love that he has for us. How does it feel to know that you are loved by the creator of the universe to such an extent that Christ is willing to die for you? If you were the only person on the planet, apart from the Roman soldiers, Jesus would have still have gone onto that cross. Rejecting Jesus, people who reject Jesus, means that those people are willing to stand before God and be judged. And the judge is incorruptible. But accepting Jesus means the penalty for our sins has been paid for us by someone else, namely Jesus. So what should we do? This is the last point of the sermon. What should we do? How should we respond to the good news of what Jesus has done for us? On that hill outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, on that particular day, there were three crosses. Not six or ten or any other number that there could have been. There was three. Jesus was in the centre and on either side there was a man on the cross, a thief, a rebel or whatever, being crucified because of their um, things that they had done. The two crosses on the hill symbolise this. One of God's greatest gifts to human beings, the gift of choice. One thief on the cross chose Jesus. One thief on the cross chose to reject Jesus. The thief that chose Jesus said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus' response was, this day you'll be with me in paradise. That thief had made many, many bad choices in his life. So many bad choices that he'd ended up on a Roman cross. But at the very end of his life, he made one good choice. He chose Jesus. And the other thief rejected Jesus. And that's what our situation is. 
we, it doesn't matter what bad choices we've made in our lives, and we probably haven't made anywhere near as bad choices as those thieves on the cross, but it doesn't matter. No matter what bad choices we may have made, we can make one good choice. And the people we might be telling the good news to, we can say this to them. You can make one good choice or one bad choice. All the rest don't matter. And the good choice is to choose Jesus, to, because choosing Jesus means choosing life. God doesn't want anyone to perish. And it's a simple process to choose Jesus. And I want us to understand this. Because if we understand that the process is simple, that God loves us, we just need to choose Jesus, it's easy to say that to someone else. Well, you've got to be in the right situation and you've got to have a person who's willing to engage in this sort of conversation. But if we don't tell people about Jesus and how simple it is to choose life then that graph that I showed you early on is not going to change. And I just encourage you not to listen to your doubts, not to listen to the messages of society, not to listen to anything else, but to listen to the words of God through Jesus in the Bible about how simple salvation is. So what are we supposed to do? Okay, so I think it's important that we understand that we need to tell others about God accurately. Make sure that we know about God. Study his words in the Bible. Pray to the Father. Ask for the Holy Spirit to guide us. And when we've done that, when we really understand the simple message of who God is, the creator, the lover, the judge, how simple it is to choose life because of what God has done for us, take that message out to the world. Even if one out of every ten people that we talk to responds that's better than not telling anybody if we don't this graph is only going to look worse in five years time when the people when everything has moved up one category and we'll be even less of a we'll even more of a minority than we are now so let me summarize where we've been today god is the creator He's a lover, he's a judge. These are three categories. There are more things you could talk about God, but they're the three main ones. He made everything and he loves everything that he made. But he's also the judge who punishes those who have rejected him. People who choose to uh, uh, not give themselves to Jesus are basically choosing to reject God. And they might have chosen because the particular sin that they like doing, they don't want to give it up. But because of God's great love, he sent Jesus to die in our place and to pay that price for us. And all humans have a choice. We can choose to give our lives to God or we can choose to put ourselves in the centre of our lives and not have God involved. And he's a gentleman. If, you don't want to, if people don't want God in their lives, he won't be in their lives. But that doesn't mean he doesn't want them to come to him. So what next? So here's some things for you to think about doing in the next coming week, months, and this year, 2023. All the, it's not too late to start a good year, uh, New Year resolution. Worship God and him alone. Don't have anything else in your life that's more important than God. Read your Bibles and listen to what Jesus says. Make sure you understand who God is and what he has done for us. And then pray for opportunities to share the good news of God's love 
with others. Don't ever forget what God has done for you. Look for opportunities to tell other people what God has done for you and share the good news because the future of the church really depends on that. Let's close with a prayer. Father God, we thank you for all that you have done for us. We thank you for your creation, for your love and for our salvation. Please guide us through your Holy Spirit that we might recognise the opportunities that come our way to share the good news with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.